Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Preston Shuttlesworth Audio Podcast, a place where we believe you can be equipped to conquer any obstacle in life through the power of God's Word. We have a mission and believe that whatever problem you might be facing, God has a word that can lift you out of your trouble. Now, here's your host, Preston Shuttlesworth. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Preston Shuttlesworth, speaking, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to the third episode and the third installment of the podcast. And firstly, I just want to thank everyone again for the response to the last episode. You guys are awesome. It's so cool to see um, the write-ins and the things that people have been saying about how it's helped them and it's good to have a, a young voice out there that's speaking the truth and speaking from God's word with power. And um, it makes me so happy to know that this podcasting um, venture and thing I'm doing is worthwhile and there's fruit that's coming from it and that it's not pointless, but there's actual things that are helping people. And I'm glad it makes me so, so happy that this podcast is reaching people and is helping people. And I just want to thank you once again for the response that I'm hoping that this episode will be helpful to you throughout this week that you're going through. And um, if you don't know, I record in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where I live and uh, where my dad pastors a church. And that's where we do ministry. And uh, Virginia actually got hit with a snowstorm, quote unquote, today uh, as I was driving back from another place to get here today to record. They were talking about how you know, the snow has been bad and that it's going to be a really bad snowstorm and all these things are going to happen. And they canceled school. They shut down the whole city. Everything came to a halt. And then when I got here, there's barely any snow on the ground. The sun is shining. Everything is perfectly fine. It's a beautiful day. But where we're from, if there's any rumor of snow, the whole place shuts down. So it's just funny to me, especially coming from Columbus, Ohio, where I went to Bible school, where it's like Antarctica on crack, you know, it's like insane. It's like negative 40 with 30 degree winds. It's brutal. So this is nothing, but, um, uh, drove through some light snow to get here and then, uh, had to go to Best Buy to actually get some equipment cause some things were malfunctioning and my mic wasn't working and ended up having to buy a whole new mic, which stinks, but, um, you know, we're here and we're talking and we're podcasting, so it's all good. Everything's working good. And um, I want to get into today's episode, which is we're going to be talking about revival, specifically elements of revival, and even more specifically, five elements of revival. And firstly, before we get into the topic, I just want you to know that I understand that revival is something that's on the inside of every believer, that if you're full of the Holy Spirit, if you have Jesus living on the inside of you, if you've accepted him within you now is the power to perform and have revival wherever you go. So I'm not approaching the subject of revival today from a critical point of view that, you know, revival is never going to come to the church and that modern church is terrible and that our modern church leadership isn't getting things right. And that if only the church would let young people take over, then things would begin to be back on track. That's not the approach or what I believe about revival, but what I'm going to be dealing with in today's episode are five elements of revival, meaning 
elements, a characteristic, a trait, a sign, different things that happen when revival breaks out. And those are things that we can discern and see through the word of God and through the history of revivals that have taken place in the earth. And there's different patterns that you can see are consistent throughout each revival that has happened. And so that's what today's episode is going to be about. So I'm not going to be critical. You know, I'm not approaching it from the typical millennial point of view that everything's terrible and revival will never come and blah, 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 blah. But no, I'm coming at it from the point of view that revival is already breaking out in the earth, already breaking out in the United States, and that there's some things, elements that we can look at and see to know how revival breaks out and when the spirit of God does break out, what are some of the things that happen when it does? And so without further ado, let's get into the first element, the first sign, the first indication that revival is taking place. And these are not the only five things. These are not the only five elements. These are just five that I personally I'm going to be talking about today, have found through study, found through reading, found through seeing how God has moved throughout revivals in history. And these are five things that I'm going to be talking about. These are not the only five. These are not the best five. These are just five. And so let's get into number one, the first element, which is the church unifies in prayer. I want to go to Acts chapter two, and I want to read to you out of the story of Um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and when the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to be reading 13 scriptures, 13 verses, so just stick with me. It's important for the podcast um, episode, what we're going to be dealing with. So verse 1 says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, meaning the church at that time, were all together In one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire uh, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of the Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with wine. So the first element that I want us to draw from this section of scripture, which will serve as a basis for our topic today, is that the first element of the Spirit of God breaking out, as it did in the book of Acts, the outpouring of God's Spirit, was the unification of the body of Christ through prayer. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit didn't come until the church was in one place and in one accord in prayer. So revival doesn't come into chaotic church environments. It doesn't come into places where there's no... um, 
agreement. There's no unity. But revival comes to a place that's unified in prayer and people that are in a like spirit with one another. You know, it's a waste of God's time for him to send his spirit into places and people that don't hear and know his word. And the reason that they know his word is because they're in a posture of prayer, because the spirit of God and the word of God are in agreement. And how can Christians and how can church leaders know what God is saying if they don't pray and if they don't stay within his word? You know, the reason we need every other form of church growth mechanism, the reason people have to attend conferences for church growth, and I'm not saying any of these things are bad. You know, I'm not saying that having events and having food and having giveaways and having, you know, circuses and whatever you have to do to get people in your church is wrong, but all of those things things should be additions to the spirit of God being there and the word of God being in there in agreement with one another. You know, if we're dependent upon all of these outside forces to bring about revival, then we'll have to do things outside of the Bible to bring forth that revival. Because anytime you go outside of what the word of God and what the God's voice instructs you to do, you're forced to go outside of the Bible and outside of God's voice to have what the Bible says you can have and what God says you can have. How can you have revival if you don't know from God's own voice and God's own heart what he wants revived? If you don't have the instruction manual, if you don't have the GPS guidance system, which is God instructing you on what you to do, what you should do, how you should conduct services, how you should do this and to do that, then how will you experience revival where you are? You know, I can already see that one of the things the Spirit of God is doing this year is calling the church and the people of God back to a posture of prayer. You know, I can speak for my own personal church that in the beginning of the year, my dad always calls us to a psalm of assembly a psalm assembly of fasting and prayer of 21 days to begin each new year. And we had probably the most powerful prayer and fasting meetings that I've ever been in, that I've ever been a part of. And I've been going to the church for, you know, my whole life, you know, 20 years or, you know, I'm I'm 21, but I've been going for my whole life. I've been through many years of the church uh, doing those fasting and prayer meetings. And there was something different about this year. And it wasn't just me. Others testified of what God was doing through those prayer meetings. And because of that, my father called another 21-day fast. And we're going to begin to have another one in in March. And we're going to have it from March 1st to 22nd because fasting and prayer is being brought back to the church. And God is speaking through men of God and women of God to bring it back into their churches. And I see from churches I know and hear about that there's prayer meetings breaking out spontaneously. People are praying from Monday to Friday every night coming into their church buildings to pray because God is calling the church back this year and has been for a little while now, back to the posture of prayer. You know, you can look through all of human history, look through the biblical revivals, you know, historical revivals. They always started with people coming into a prayer meeting, people having week-long prayer meetings, you know, for going at weeks at a time, people coming for, with the objective that we're going to pray and we're going to pray until God does something supernatural in our midst. Because if we aren't unified in prayer, then we won't be unified in the actions we take in order to have revival. God has to bring us into a place where we're unified through a spirit of prayer as a body so that he can do the thing that he wants to do, which is revive us and bring forth a revival to the earth. You know, because if we're not in a spirit of prayer, 
We won't be receiving the same instruction if we are in the same posture together and hearing the same voice as one body and from the same Lord. But I know that one of the things that God is doing right now, you know, Right now, God is moving and doing this. God is pushing us back to the altar and back to the posture of prayer. And he is doing this by design because there's a great revival beginning in the earth. You know, I'm not one of these millennials that thinks revival is going to come, you know, 25 years from now, 100 years from now, that it's going to be, you know, in some far off distant time. No, revival is already beginning. Revival is breaking out in the United States and in the earth. And we want to be a part of it. And you and me and you want to be a part of it. And we have to be in a posture and a place of prayer so that we can know what God wants done in the earth and what he wants revived. So the first element of revival that we're talking about today is church unification through prayer. We must pray. The second element is this. The second element is when cultural and racial barriers are broken. The second element of revival is when walls of division, of race, culture, language, all of these sorts of kinds of things begin to bring up and cause divisions within the church and the world. Those are all things that, that by the power of the Holy Ghost, God wants to remove. You know, we can see from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 that we just read, that there was a point when the Spirit of God came, that tongues of fire sat upon their heads, and they began to speak in languages that they did not know, and that from people from all different kinds of countries began to understand what they were saying as they were declaring the mighty works of God. You know, it says that there were Galileans there, Parthians, Medes, um, Mesopotamianites, Judeans, Egyptians, Romans, Libyans, people from uh, Crete and Cyrene, you know, Arabians, Romans, all sorts of people from all sorts of parts of the world all came into unity when the Spirit of God hit in Acts chapter 2. Because one of the objectives and one of the tasks of the Holy Spirit is to eliminate the divisions of culture, race, language, and skin color. That one of the signs of revival is when you begin to see black people, white people, Spanish people, Asian people, African people, Indian people, Middle Eastern people, all different kinds of people all come together with the same spirit that God is about to do something miraculous. That's a sure sign of revival. And God was bringing together nations under one spirit by divine uh, objective and by design. You know, it's interesting to see that the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is almost the complete flip of the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. That instead of God confusing the languages of people to divide them like in the Tower of Babel, he instead, by his spirit, eliminated the language barriers by the Holy Spirit to unify them together. So a second element or characteristic or sign or trait, whatever you want to call it, of revival is when God begins to destroy barriers of race, culture, and language that all nations, all tribes, all languages come under the same power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and I'm not saying that God won't send a specific revival to a certain place of the earth. God does that all the time. But what I am saying is that revival isn't reserved from one race. It's not reserved for one group of people or one skin color or one nationality. But revival, the spirit of God, was prophesied by Joel in Joel chapter 2 to be poured out upon all flesh. The Bible didn't say in Joel chapter 2 that God's spirit will be poured out upon 
the Americans or the Spanish people or the Africans or the Canadians or the, you know, whatever nation. God said in Joel chapter two through the prophet Joel that his spirit would be poured out upon all flesh, that all flesh, all peoples, all nations, all tribes would begin to experience the mighty power and force of the Holy Ghost. You know, and it's a clear sign of revival when you see all types of people under one roof with no signs of division or, you know, barriers between them. And one of the tactics of the devil to weaken the church is he divides the church so that he can divide and conquer. You know, that's why there's one billion Christians in the world, you know, they say, but there's 5,000 denominations. Why? Because it's a tactic of the enemy to divide the church to weaken its reach. You know, you have the Catholics and then you have the Pentecostals and then you have the Methodists and the Lutherans and this and that and this thing and that thing. And it's one of the things that the enemy likes to do because he understands that if he divides us, we're easily, you know, he can, he can do what he wants to do much more easily if we're divided. And I thank God that he never told the disciples, you know, when he was speaking to them, he never said, Hey, stay in Jerusalem and keep the gospel to the Jews and don't go out into the world and spread it to everywhere else, but keep it in Jerusalem. No, but he said, preach in Jerusalem. Yes. But then Judea, then Sumeria, then the uttermost parts of the world. And I thank God that he specifically instructed his disciples to preach to the, even the most remote, even the most unknown, even the most, you know, less privileged, the most uttermost parts of the earth would receive the life-changing power message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and the coming of the Holy Spirit. That is reserved for the whole earth, that Jesus died for the whole world, not a certain group of people, but he died for everyone and his spirit is available for everyone. You know, it's really sad to see when you see, you know, certain denominations are all one race, you know, where, you know, Things that started in the Azusa Street Revival, for instance, like, you know, the Church of God, Church of God in Christ, you know, all these different things that came out of the Azusa Street Revival. When people came to the Azusa Street Revival, there were people from all parts of the earth that came to that revival to receive from it. There were people, you know, black people, white people, Spanish, Mexican, Asian, Indian, like every person of every nation came to, you know, receive from that revival. But then over time, the enemy gets his way and things begin to divide where you have the church of God, which is the white Pentecostals. Then you have the church of God in Christ, which is the black Pentecostals. And then you have the national Hispanic, the national Asian, the national this. And there's all these divisions, you know, by denominations and this and this and this, because it's the tactic of the enemy to divide us and make us weak and weaken our reach as a church. But in church culture, you know, we love to say that revival is like fire. Well, if revival is like fire, then revival should spread. Revival should go everywhere. Revival should be like a fire. When it touches something, it consumes it wherever it goes and no matter what it touches. Revival should go out like fire. Yes. And revival should go out for every single person, not be reserved for a specific group or a specific class or a specific race or a specific nation. But revival, the spirit of God is for all people to be poured out upon all flesh. And it's a major element of revival when things like that, those barriers of division, of hate, of, you know, cultural diversity, all of those things that have divided people are broken down by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's a sure sign of revival. It's a sure element of revival. You know, 
And the fire of God, that fire of God, that spirit of God that should live in the heart of every Christian was designed by God to spread. It was designed by God to be pushed out of you so that those around you could experience what God has graciously given to you. And one of the elements that I believe in with all my heart that we've already begun to see and are going to begin to see in greater measure is when God supernaturally eliminates those cultural, racial barriers by his powerful Holy Spirit. I believe that with all of my heart. Let's get into the third element of revival. Let's just go right along. The third element of revival is this. Geographical regions of the earth begin to be unlocked by creative miracles. A third element of revival is when God unlocks areas of the world through creative miracles being being performed by vessels of men and women by his spirit. You know, I'm reminded of a story, a powerful story from the ministry of a great man of God named Dr. Lester Sumrall. And they say that he went to preach in the Philippines and and in Manila, uh, Manila, uh, the city of Manila in the Philippines, and that there was a girl in prison that was uh, possessed by these demonic powers that she would, you know, convulse and do all sorts of these crazy things and no doctor, no one could counsel it out, but they had to, you know, restrain her because of this demonic power that would control her and come over her. And they say that Lester Sumrall, uh, by the power of God, cast out those devils and she was delivered by the power of God. And it was a miraculous thing. It was in the newspapers in the country. You know, the news of it spread over the, the whole nation. And the prime minister of the Philippines, he spoke to Lester Sumrall and he said, anything that you want because of this thing that you've done, this saving this girl, we'll do whatever you need, whatever you want, we'll do for you. And the thing that Lester Summerall asked was for the largest auditorium in the nation to be used for a revival that he would he would do for the, uh, the nation. And then revival began to break out in the Philippines because of that one deliverance miracle that God uh, used Lester Summerall to do. And because of that miracle, an entire region, an entire nation of the Philippines was unlocked through a creative miracle, the deliverance of that girl. And it's the same in the Bible. You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, this what we're going to stay in, it says... In verse 42 of Acts 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders, wonders, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So we can see that in Acts chapter 2, when revival broke out, when the Spirit of God was poured out, that many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. And because of that, the church began to grow and multiply with each day that passed because of the miracles that were happening. You know, the Bible says in the Gospels, that many believed on Jesus and many great multitudes followed him because they saw the miracles that he did. That because of Jesus's miracle working ministry, people came from all over the place to hear what he had to say. You know, you think of the woman with the issue of blood who spent all she had on doctors, on medical procedures, on all of these things to try to cure her blood disorder, but none of it worked and she spent all she had and she actually grew worse instead of better. And the 
the Bible says that she heard of the man named Jesus and that she she did everything she could to get within Jesus's midst and to touch the hem of his garment because she knew that she had the faith that if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And the Bible says she pressed through great crowds of people. She probably did everything she could. She was desperate for God. She was desperate for a touch of, from God for her body. And because Jesus was known as a miracle worker, she pressed through great crowds just to get to the hem of his garment so that she could be made whole. The same things should begin to happen in the church, that because of the power of God living on the inside of us, because of that mighty Holy Spirit being on the inside of us, God can use us to perform creative miracles that can unlock the regions of that are around us, that, you know, people can hear of legs growing back, blind, blind eyes coming open, deaf ears coming open, and because of these miracles taking place, revival begins to break out because people begin to realize that if the doctor can't help me, if the government thing can't help me, if this can't help me, that can't help me, I have to turn to a supernatural God who has a supernatural power to answer my problem with the power that he has that's great and mighty and better than anything else that the world has to offer. So one of the elements, the second element of revival, or excuse me, this is the third, is we begin to see signs and wonders break out all over the earth that begin to unlock areas of the earth. One of the things we're about to see in this last period of time before Jesus returns is a supernatural explosion of creative miracles all over the world. You know, this world needs revived. And one of the things that happens when God's spirit begins to break out is miracles, creative supernatural miracles pop up everywhere it goes. You know, the Bible says that these signs shall follow them that believe. That simply by believing that Jesus is who he said he was, just by believing that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, that you're empowered and you have the authority to do things, there are certain signs that should follow your life and be a testimony that God is real and that he's alive and that he does things for his people. These signs shall follow them that belief. A true sign of belief is when signs follow what you do and are around you in everything you do. If someone believes in miracles, there should be miracles happening and manifesting in their life and in their ministry, period. There has to be a return to the miraculous. There has to be a return to the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the power that can do anything that you need done. If you need deliverance of your mind, if you need deliverance of your soul, if you need deliverance of you know, a sickness or disease that's in your body, tormenting thoughts in your mind, whatever it might be, the Holy Spirit has the power to do that work by the power of God. This generation, listen to me, this generation that we're living in now, we're not going to be convinced by a tweetable quote. We're not going to be convinced by your cool graphic for your conference. We're not going to be convinced by your church growth tactics. We need a supernatural demonstration of the Spirit of God in the miraculous. I'm tired of hearing stories of, you know, people doing all these great things, and then I feel like I'm left out, and this generation feels like it can't happen, that it's a hope deferred, that these wonders, these acts of signs and wonders can't take place today. It's not true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we must turn back to the Holy Ghost and turn back to the working of miracles because it will bring revival to our nation, to our cities, and to our world. I believe that with all of my heart. 
God isn't interested. Listen, God isn't interested in raising up more motivational speakers, more people that feel like they can do things without the power of God, more people that believe that they can raise up a big church without anything spiritual, without the spirit of God, without the word of God. God is on a mission to raise up demonstrators of the Holy Ghost and power to a world who hasn't seen it yet. The Holy Ghost and the demonstration of what the Holy Ghost can do is the only thing that will bring true revival to this earth. Every revival from the Great Awakenings to every biblical revival to every revival throughout human history was accompanied by signs and wonders. And one of the things that seems to have been a pattern for me personally, that every time I try to preach, every time I try to talk and teach something, God brings me back to this. We must value the Holy Spirit. We have to see it as the only thing that can empower us to do the work of the ministry, that we can't do it on our own, but we need the power of the Holy Ghost to be resident in all that we do, that by His Spirit, things can begin to happen. We can shake nations. Blind eyes can come open. Sick children that are told that they have weeks to live can come into the church and be healed by the power of God and live long, happy lives, that we have the ability to enact powerful, miraculous, wonderful change. And we have the spirit, we have the authority, we have the word, we have every tool available to us to accomplish this. And we need to see it done in our generation and in the generations to come. We must turn back to the Holy Spirit in order to see the revival that I know in my heart we're beginning to see and we will see before Jesus comes back for his church. Let's quickly move along to the fourth element of revival. This is an important one. This is going to be a little bit more um, teaching in this one, but the fourth element of revival is this. It's the establishment of governance and guidance through apostles and prophets. I believe one of the things the enemy has tried to do to weaken the church is take away its two principal gifts, the apostles and the prophets. You know, Paul wrote about the five ministry uh, gifts, you know, the fivefold ministry gifts, and he listed first apostles, second prophets. These are the two foundational gifts of the body of Christ. And apostles and prophets do many things, but in basic terms, they're the governors and the guiders of the body. That if we don't have apostles, we don't have order, we don't have governing, we don't have things being built up, we don't know really what we're doing, and then the prophets are the voices that hear God are and hear his voices of correction, rebuke, guidance, uh, leading, though the prophets are the ones that are the voice in the mouthpieces of God that hear what God's heart is saying and then communicate what God's heart is saying out from their mouth to the body of Christ. And we, have, we must, you know, turn back to the apostles and the prophets that instead of propping up these materialistic, stylish, humanistic people that are famous and popular in modern culture, but and we've turned away from the apostles and the prophets, the veterans of the faith that know the way to go, that know the things to do. We've shunned them and turned them to the side and said that they're this and they're that. And we've propped up these people that carry no power, that carry no deliverance, carry no power of the Holy Spirit spirit, we must turn back to the foundational gifts of the body, which are the apostles and the prophets. 
You know, you can read in Acts chapter 2 again. And, you know, the Bible always referred to the disciples after Jesus left as the apostles. That now they're the apostles. They're not just disciples, but now they're the apostles. That now they have, you know, they've been with Jesus. They've seen the things Jesus did. And now they're the governing work of the body of Christ that's going to establish the church. And we need to turn back to those people. Those people still exist. You know, there's not very many. It's a, it's a very rare, you know, people you know, don't understand the importance of apostles and prophets. But two things the church has lost is the apostolic voice and the prophetic voice. And that's why, one, there's no order in our churches. And that's why, number two, there's no direction in our churches. Because the apostolic voice takes care of the order and the prophetic voice takes care of the direction. And if you don't have order and you don't have direction, then you don't have revival. Because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know why you're doing it. You don't know what God wants. You're just doing what you think is best in your own human mind and your own human thoughts which are not even comparable to God's thoughts and God's ways and that's why the church has gone the direction it has gone because we've propped up these people that are no prophets that are no apostles that probably shouldn't even be in the ministry and we've made them you know the poster boys and the poster childs of what church is like and what spirituality is like and what the Holy Spirit is when they are no representation of God and they probably don't even have a relationship with God that's even real. We must turn back to apostles and prophets for the governing and the guidance of the church. You know, there are very few of those voices left. You know, there might be 10 apostles really left in the earth. You know, I'm not sure, you know, how you would classify an apostle in your opinion, but there are very few true apostles left and we have to value them. We have to honor them. We have to listen to what they're saying, heed their direction, you know, take seriously what they're saying because they're the governors of the church and we need them and we need the prophets. We need guidance. And you know, and you might think prophets are weird that the prophet was that weird guy at Bible school that had, you know, smelled like Cheez-Its and his room was always dirty and he was always trying to give you a word that made no sense. And, you know, the prophet the prophet and the prophetic office and the prophetic gifts have been mocked and ridiculed and put to shame by people that are no prophets. But true prophets are mouthpieces of God that hear his heart and are able to vocalize his heart through their mouths to people so that people can begin to know the direction and the guidance of God and the way that God's leading them to go. We have to turn back to the apostles and the prophets. It's a sure sign and it's an element of revival that we must see. Many established veterans of the gospel have been cast aside for stylish modern preaching that carries no power. But we must turn back to the foundational gifts of the body given to us by God in order to have revival in our earth. Moving on to our last element that we're going to be talking about today. Now, once again, these are not the only five elements or traits of revival or signs of revival, but these are just five, five good ones that I think are going to help you today. The fifth element of revival, the last one we're going to be talking about today, is this, desperation of nations producing a need for supernatural answers. You know, desperation is a major element to revival. That's why it seems like you know, the only revivals that take place now are in third world countries, you know, in African nations, in, you know, South American nations, places that are super desperate, that don't have, you know, the things in place that they need. You know, that's why people say, oh, it's so hard to have revival in the United States because, you know, we're a privileged nation. We don't really need God, quote unquote. You know, we have hospitals, we have, you know, 
uh, educational systems. We have jobs. We have food. We have money. We don't need God, right? Because we're privileged. Because we're in the United States. We're powerful. We're strong. But there's so many things. What happens when the doctor says that there's nothing more he can do? What happens when the national food supply runs out and we're running out of food? What happens? Who do you turn to when the educational systems fail you and you have no options, no jobs, no finances, nowhere else to go? Where do you turn when all the things of the world that have crutched you and propped you up and made you seem like you're okay? What do you do when all those things fall apart and are destroyed and all you have is God and all you have is, you know, God doing something miraculous in your situation. That's the place in a short element of revival. That desperation of the earth, things that happen in the world, wars, you know, things like that. You know, you, you see the revivals that broke out during World War II, that during World War II, people became uh, prayer warriors. People came to church just to pray during the Second World War because of how bad things were. And revival started to break out throughout the 1940s and 50s and 60s. And we were kind of seeing the last, you know, uh, reverberations of those things that took place, you know, from that place of desperation that people prayed. And now we're comfortable, right? Now everything's provided for us. Now we have everything we need. And now we have no need of God. You know, that that's what we think anyway, as Americans and as people that come from a privileged nation, you know, Canada, Europe, America, different places. But you go to Africa where you don't have a doctor a mile down the road and you don't have medications and you don't have medicine. That's why you go there and you see the great revivals that take place. You know, Reinhard Bonnke, Billy Graham, um, all these people that would go and do these mighty revivals overseas because there's desperation in those nations. And that's a sure element of revival that you need in order to have revival. You have to have desperation. You have to have the thought that I need God more than anything else, that God's the only one that can bring me out of my situation, that God's word, God's promises, what God says I can have, God's love, God's spirit is the only thing that will take me out of this place I'm in and put me in a place far greater than the one I am in now. You know, don't get to a point where you're so dependent upon the earth's resources and the earth's systems that you have no need of God. You must turn back to God. You must have this need that God is my only answer. He's my only way out. He's my only solution. God and his spirit and his word and nothing else. If you call yourself a Christian, you know that God is the only answer for the world. At least you should. You shouldn't feel like, you know, if we just get self-help, if we just get educated, if we just get, you know, knowledge of medicine, if we just do this and this and this, then we'll be okay. You know, we'll, we'll do just fine without God. No, God is the center. God is the only thing that can bring us out of the place that the earth is in right now. You know, I think of Jesus, when he spoke in Luke chapter 21 about the signs of his return, he was speaking to his disciples and he gave them signs to look for as to know when he's going to return and come back again. And you remember all the signs he gave was like, you know, earthquakes and pestilence and famine and, and disease and rumors of war and, you know, women that are in labor in those days, you know, you know, uh, woe to them and, you know, the, all these bad things all these bad things that would take place before Jesus was like, I'm going to return. But at the end, Jesus doesn't say, oh, get sad, be discouraged, be uh, anxious because 
of all these bad things. But at the end, Jesus instead says, he says, you know, lift up your head, strengthen yourself, be in anticipation. Why? Because when those things begin to happen, when you begin to see all these things taking place in the earth, your redemption is drawing nigh, meaning that Jesus is coming back again. It's not a time to be worried and be sad and turn on the news and worry about everything that's happening, but instead it's a time to know that Jesus is returning soon. Hallelujah. He's coming back for you and me. He's coming back to make everything right. He's coming back to wipe every tear from your eye. He's coming back to make everything right. So don't be afraid. Be of good cheer for Jesus has overcome this world and he's returning soon for a church, a bride that's pure and white, spotless, without blemish and wrinkle. He's returning for a church that's ready for the outpouring of his spirit. He's returning for a church that's lifting up their eyes to the hills from whence cometh their help because Jesus is returning for a church in power. He's returning for a church in authority. He's returning for a church that's pure and white and righteous. That's the kind of church that Jesus is coming back for. It's not time to be sad. It's a time to be in great anticipation and excitement because Jesus is coming back for you and me. Hallelujah. The state of this world and the signs that are taking place are indicators to me and you as believers that Jesus is returning soon. Don't be afraid, but be glad for Jesus has overcome every obstacle of the devil, every obstacle of the world, the spirit of the world, and he's coming back for you and me. We do not follow the pattern of the world. If the world is afraid, that means the church is in anticipation for what God is going to do. Revival is already breaking out. Things are already taking place. Look for the signs. Be ready. Stay ready. Stay safe. Stay prayed up. Stay in the spirit. Be ready because Jesus is coming back. But before he comes back, a great revival is beginning to break out in the earth and watch for these elements that we talked about today because they're sure signs that will follow the revival that's going to come and that dwells on the inside of you and me. Me and you have the power to enact and enable revival in our generation and in our world. We are strong. We're more than enough. We have the ability to defeat every obstacle of the devil by the power of Jesus. We have the authority. We have the dominion. We have everything we need. We're protected. We're provided for everything we need. Now it's just time to spread that fire that dwells within us. Well, I love you. I'm going to wrap up the podcast. I went a little longer than I was hoping, but I'm glad that we went, we got through all of it and I'm proud of you and I'm thankful if you made it all the way through. I want to thank you once again for listening to the podcast. Be, uh, be aware for the next episode next week, next Friday. And, um, Revival is a huge topic, and I couldn't cover it, you know, 5% of it in the 40-some minutes that we had together, but I hope that I was able to stir up your faith and allow you to see five things that I begin. God, I think God's going to begin to do and already has begun to do in the world. It's not a time to be afraid. It's a time to be glad. It's a time to be expectant. It's a time to be full of anticipation for what God is about to do in our earth through me and through you. Well, this is Preston Shuttlesworth, your host, saying I love you, God loves you, and I'll talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to the Preston Shuttlesworth Audio Podcast. To stay connected with Preston and for booking information, make sure to follow him on social media on Instagram and stay tuned for our upcoming ministry website. For more episodes, please subscribe and make sure to come back here every Friday for brand new weekly content.